Welcome to the Future of Internal Communication podcast. I'm Jen Sproul, CEO of the Institute of Internal Communication. Our organisations face an onslaught of challenges across the social, economic, political and environmental spectrum. The systems we've used to support 21st century ways of life are weakening. The way we work requires dramatic transformation in response to these challenges. Internal communication is a crucial function that helps organisations achieve lasting change. This podcast explores the intersection between internal communication and the future of work. Every conversation is curated to help internal communicators better understand the risks and leverage opportunity. We really hope you enjoy listening. Hello and welcome to a special summer episode of the Future of Internal Communication podcast. I'm Kat Barnard and I'm joined as ever by Jen Sproul and Dominic Waters. Today we wanted to bring you a bonus episode because, well, I'd like to think that if you work in internal communication, you will have noticed by now the much-lauded IC Index report, which was launched officially in London in July, on July the 5th, and was the first of its kind research undertaken to dive deeper into the field of internal communication. It's been a partnership between the Institute of Internal Communication and Ipsos Carrie-Anne and Boggs. And so to that end, I'm really delighted to welcome today Susanna Holton from Ipsan Carrie-Anne and Boggs, who's come to chat with us about the IC Index and how it came about, what it's revealed, what it means for the future of internal communication. So Susanna, thank you so much for joining us today. Well, thanks for having me. It's really lovely to have you here. And I think, what are we, sort of four or five weeks on from the launch of the IC Index? And I know it's garnered attention across, right across the UK and the international internal communication community. So I wondered if, if there are any people who haven't heard about it yet, I wonder if we could kick off by inviting you and Jen to share what the IC Index is and how it came about. So I think essentially there's a lot of great reports out there that focus on the view of the IC practitioner, but there's not been much that looks at how UK workers actually feel about internal communication within their organisation. So we wanted to fill that gap, first of all, and sort of stop marking our homework, our own homework as internal comms practitioners, but actually understanding the workforce. So Jen reached out to us start of this year. Yeah, I think it was. Yeah. (laughs) Time (laughs) flies when you have fun, doesn't it? (laughs) It's been a long time coming. And said, could we talk about what we potentially could do? And with the Ipsos sort of background in research, it lended itself really nicely to, to us partnering up on this piece of work. Yeah, I mean, I think I would just add, Susanna's clearly described, you know, what what we wanted to do and that that gap that we wanted to fill. And I think as well, the other thing I would just just add to that as well, in my role at the IOYC, I mean, and I think, Susanna, you have this a lot with your clients and things that you do. The question that I've been asked so many times over the years is how do we demonstrate our strategic impact? How can we articulate that? How can we put some robustness behind that? 
And I think that we as many internal communicators know that's a very difficult challenge, but we felt that if we understood the employee perspective, which really starts to crystallize how internal communication drives many business outcomes and how they should go about it, it starts to give us something that we can take upwards, sidewards, in all those ways to really drive forward on that strategic value and what what our role does. But to do that, we wanted to make sure it was done with robust insight. And of course, that's why Ipsos and Karen and Botts were the perfect partner for us. And um, it was wonderful, wasn't it? I mean, we got our first project call. It was like just all of the purpose, the mission, the desire, absolutely correlated. And um, even though it's been a while, I think we turned that around pretty quickly. I think that's fair to say, considering the scale. (laughs) I think we did. And I think what was really useful was the fact that we quite early days, we decided we wanted to have an expert working group involved with senior IC people to really understand what's on their minds, what's on the practitioner's mind, because I'll have my view from the agency side, but actually getting that sort of, where are people now? We've come out of a big global crisis in terms of COVID. I've seen so much change over the past three, four years. Where are we? What do we need to focus on? So that expert session really helped us draft the right survey questions and thinking about the reporting output, what what needed to go in there. So it's something that we've been thinking about together in a room, but it's also been so valuable to have have those perspectives of, of some senior people in the comm space as well. And huge congratulations for turning that around so quickly. I was already in awe of your capacity for moving at pace. And then when you just revealed that it was a multi-panel, you know, involvement, then I, I can I can only appreciate how long that must have taken to coordinate everybody's diaries and get everybody in the room to discuss and agree the way forward. So I think that's a really impressive result that you've you've pulled off there. And I think also from my own perspective, it's a lovely accompaniment. You know, we have like Gallup produces its state of the global workplace report on an annualized basis. And I think, you know, we hear a lot about engagement from credible sources such as Gallup. So to have a complementary report from the perspective of internal communication, which we know is absolutely integral to engagement, I think that's lovely. And I'm excited for what you have achieved. And also, what the report has revealed. And so with that in mind, as you were analysing the data gathered in the IC index research, what revelations surprised you the most? Mike, to you, Susanna, first. I think there's a few things. And I think it's a lot of what this report does is that there's a lot of things that we kind of know as IC practitioners. So we we have the data to back up our statements and the things that we talk about being the truth so that was good in terms of what was being more surprising I think there's a few key things that stood out and as we've been sort of presenting this in a couple of instances there's been a few few reactions to it so the first one being around how long do people spend on internal communications per average on on, in a normal day and we actually have 15 minutes or less with people every day to get all of our key messages through 15 minutes can sound like quite a long time, but when you think about the average business and or organisation and the number of priorities that you have that you really need to get out there, 15 minutes all of a sudden is not very long at all. So how do you make the most of that chunk of time? And it's probably not 15 minutes 
all at once. It's 15 minutes in short chunks of time throughout the day. So that was a big one. Another one for me was that people in the UK workforce said that they're more likely to believe that the strategy is the right one than actually say, I understand the strategy and my communi- the communication from my organisation around the strategy has been clear. Whenever I do research across my clients, it's normally the other way around. So people are more likely to say, yeah, I understand the strategy, but I just don't believe it's the right one. So where are we if we have got a quite large chunk of UK workforce saying, well, I think our strategy is great, but I couldn't tell you what it actually is and how to start deliver business outcomes. So I think that's an interesting challenge. And then the final one being around CEO comms. So we saw that the frequency of communications from the CEO is really important, has got a high impact on engagement. But what did surprise me a bit, because I keep hearing that people want more personal communication from leadership, they want more more of that sort of warm element. But most people said they're happy with an email from the CEO. So that was a bit of a disconnect in terms of what I hear or what I see every day at work. Anything from you, Jen? Yeah, I would agree with a lot of those things. And and I think there was also, I think, the other surprising thing, and it's come up quite a lot, and I think this will perhaps link into another big project down the line, was actually the preference for written communication and how important the written word is and how we need to get that right and how we're dealing with skim reading and how we we have course transitioned to many more tools and techniques from videos and all that sort of stuff to create that kind of engaging experience but actually when it comes down to it and I think this links to the 15 minutes a day piece as well where people are skimming when they have two minutes or they're in a meeting and they're looking at something on the side so actually how actually the fundamentals of us and the written word which is going to have its future challenges when we talk about AI, but we'll come back to that debate perhaps a whole nother time. It's really interesting. But I also think this piece around human connection and actually employee voice and the lack of feedback loop is so, so critical. And I'm going to throw over to Dom now, who is on, comes in really kind of, you look at it a lot from the world of leadership and line manager. And I think this piece around human leadership, line managers, feedback loop, listening is really critical. But I don't know, Dom, what was your reflections on some of that? Yes. I mean, gosh, loads loads came out. And I think, first of all, let me echo the congratulations on producing what is a fantastically useful a report and so quickly as well. I think first of all, it's it's worth saying, and I have been around for a while. I think internal communicators have been saying for so long we need to be taken seriously, basically. And I think with this report now, there's very little excuse not to be taken seriously. There's sufficient evidence in here that firstly, internal communication makes a big difference to organisations, and secondly, there's enough information here to go and bang on the desk of a senior person and say, look, you've got to invest in this, and if you don't, you're stuffed. So I think from that point of view, I probably wouldn't express it like that, but from that point of view, I think this is a really useful milestone in terms of the the profession. In terms of what surprised me, I think inevitably three things, I suppose. The first is about the whole thing about line managers. I mean, I wouldn't say that anyway, but this really did show that line managers are important. We know that, but it showed what they're important for. And I think we sometimes tend to think that, and line managers themselves perhaps think that they they have to be great orators. They have to be great leaders and communicators. And of course, sometimes it helps if they can do that. But what this report is showing, it's about being clear. It's about having connections, having conversations, and about helping people make sense of stuff. And I think it's great to have evidence to back that up because it's doable. 
And I think that would reassure a lot of line managers and the internal communicators working with them that it's all doable. I think that then leads us on to the other thing, which Susanna, I thought was really interesting, um, was about, was it a third of line managers don't feel equipped to do that? And I think that's quite a, a sit-up and, and take-notice statistic. And it really, again, I think, help internal communicators have the conversation saying, and of course, again, I would say that, but it's good to invest in helping and training internal, sorry, line managers. And it's not, again, about the really difficult stuff. It's about having day-to-day conversations. You mentioned the CEO thing. I thought that was a particularly surprising piece. And I think, again, looking back, and it's caused me to reflect, I think maybe as, as a profession, we have overused the CEO and tended to think the CEO can be a great channel and is used for everything. And I suppose some CEOs like that, so therefore they'll encourage it. I think one of the things that the report makes you think about is how do we get the most out of the CEO as a communication channel? If we use them too much, then it starts to perhaps become almost toxic. And I think we've probably seen that in some organisations, but it's it's really helpful to have that on paper. And again, I think it's something that makes you sit, sit up and think, oh, wow, okay, that's a bit different. And then the third thing for me, which was surprising is what we talk about and what people want to hear about. And there's some great statistics in there. I think from memory, people saying, we want to hear about stuff that's really important to us in the job. So obviously pay, but also career development and our strategy and my part in that. And perhaps controversially, less about some of the stuff we've been talking about a lot of the last two or three years, about the diversity policies, um, purpose, and even more surprisingly, actually, people were less, or it's a shady area about how much people want to hear about success stories and customers and how we help customers. So I think that's going to cause us to, to really think about our, our, our balance of what we communicate. And we're talking about this at a time when the whole issue about purpose-led organisations is back, in, back up for debate over what's recently happened with Nat West and Nigel Farage. And I think this, this will help us start to recalibrate, perhaps, Not that they're not important, but how much importance and how much airspace we give to those things. So those are the three things for me, but I'll also echo what you both have said about other things coming out of it as well. Yeah, and that topic element was so interesting because there's a few really polarising topics where I know a lot of practitioners have been spending a lot of time, a lot of budget over the past few years. And you've got such a split right down the middle where half of people say on D&I is an example I don't receive enough I need more and then you've got the other half of people who are like no it's too much please stop it dial it down write down we did some analysis to see where it had the highest impact on engagement scores which I think was really useful so there's a view on topics people say oh I get too much I get too little we can see that if you don't get enough comms on the organization's values and culture that has got a negative impact on engagement And that's one of those polarizing topics. So, yeah, I think there's a strong case for going into your organization and doing a bit of research around what does my audience think and feel? How have we been landing comps on this in the past year or so? And what can we do? What can we do differently to make sure that we really hit the mark on that? I think that's so interesting, just butting in, because to me, as I listen to you both speak, it just reminds me again of the importance of micro-targeting, actually, which is only going to become more and more important. You know, I'm imagining as a middle-aged, middle-class white person that there are plenty of people for whom DE&I isn't an issue, but in equal measure as 
we record, I'm reading a book by Shami Chakrabarti called On Women, and it is an analysis of just how little gender equality there is, gender equality. And so, you know, if you're not a white, middle-class, middle-aged person, I'm sure that there are lots of diversity issues that are very, very pressing in order to level the playing field. And I think, you know, it just goes to that point. We have to seek out what matters to individuals at a granular level. What matters to them is going to be a key piece of opportunity and risk if you don't get it right in the future of internal communication. Well, actually, that would be interesting to, to build on that because Susanna in particular, having done this research, having seen the response or having been part of the debate for the last month or so, in your view, what's the number one opportunity that the research and what's come out of it is now giving to internal communicators? I think, and it's sort of connected to what we've just said, but I think there's something in there about closing the feedback loop. So there's one thing to do listening. We saw that most companies do some form of listening, whether that's through an annual staff survey or shorter poll surveys and check-in, sort of enabling Q&A in the CEO session, that kind of thing. But what does tend to happen is that people, it's quite sad really, around half of people said that, I don't think my organisation is going to take any action on the back of the feedback I provide. And yes, the listening mechanisms sometimes perhaps doesn't sit within the space of internal comms and we're not in charge of what listening mechanisms do we have in place. But what we could take control of is the feedback narrative. It's actually getting the data points on the back of any feedback that's provided and telling the story you told us these are the problems. You told us this is something that needs to change. You told us that this is going well. To build on that or to change in the right direction, here are the things we're going to do. And there are a lot of creative ways that you can do that. But I think it's also highlighting the sort of strategic importance of internal comms as a, as a business critical function. Because if we own that, if we own that narrative, if we work with our leaders and how that gets communicated across the organisation that could have such a massive impact to not just business outcomes and metrics, but how people actually feel about their day at work and how they feel about, you know, turning up and and working somewhere that actually is decent and actually listens to the things I have to say and values my feedback. So to me, that's probably the biggest one. And Jen, I'm sure you've got loads on this as well. Yeah. And I would agree, Susanna, entirely with what you said. I think, and actually, because particularly when you look at that statistic and how then it has such the negative drawdown on the organisation is so key. And, And I think that one of the things we would sit here with this research and say, go and seek to answer those questions in your own organisation, find your own context. But I think outside of that, for me, I think there's, it's kind of a mixture thing, but I think there's there's the sort of, I like to call three C's of things. We like everything in threes, I think we've decided in, in this podcast. But for me, it's, we need more clarity. We need more conversation and we need more collaboration, which is that kind of feedback and that, that wholesomeness. But just going back a step as well to talking about those polarizing topics as well and the things that we're talking about and how line managers do that I still feel that where we sit on this space is we're not quite 
embodying all the behaviors and we're embodying good communication at the fundamental grassroots level. And I wonder sometimes with these polarizing topics, if it just feels like it's part of an organization in its behavior and its embodied communication and the way it does things, then that it doesn't become a spotlight. It becomes, that's just good work. And I think we're still a way off. That's just good work. So you should be able to perhaps dial down on some of that communication or address those balances and drive forward more with clarity. Because what we've done is we've just embedded that sense of good embodied communication at every facet of the organisation. And Dom, I'm going to throw to you again in a minute. And I've had some interesting conversations as well about this line manager piece. And I think that we still highlight this, this challenge of influence and ownership. And where do we go about that? And how do we as a professional community influence good embodied communication at every level of our organizations as opposed to feeling very top level in terms of the mechanics of communication as in the tactical elements and we know we hit the barrier with line managers well that's not us that's a different division and that sits over here and that's an L&D and and that's not us so we kind of sort of waving a white flag I guess but it's like how do we campaign for embodied communication that's of such world class where it's embedded that then we can drive forward with better clarity around things around strategy because actually the environment of good work is just there I don't know Dom if you've got any thoughts on that as well I think you're right I think probably if you go to most line managers and say you've got to be a great communicator you're going to scare them understandably because I guess that's not my job Whereas if you go back to what you said earlier, if you said, just help them understand what they're supposed to be doing, make sure they're comfortable doing it, ask them questions, encourage them to, to, to raise issues, then that's more, it's more doable and it's more part of their job. So I think one aspect is being clear on what's expected of line managers when it comes to communication and then making sure they get rewarded for doing it. So you're talking about how do we have the influence? I think as internal communicators, it's about going to people who try to influence those who set objectives and manage the performance management program to say we've got to make sure that people are rewarded if they communicate because otherwise why do it well we also need to demonstrate answer my own question actually we also need to demonstrate how line managers and people managers can get things done more effectively by being better communicators so i think that's part of it and then the other thing which came out and Susanna, you brought out in the report it is about equipping them helping line managers to do do the role and that's going back to what you said a moment about the three C's, about helping them have conversations, helping them be clear. So I think it's very practical stuff that we can do to influence and to embed good communication across uh, line managers. And just before we move on, I know I always bang on this drum. I don't think we should underestimate the extent to which our natural capacity for conversational communication has been eroded and impact by the mass adoption of digital communication tools. You see it all the time where people use messaging rather than having a conversation. And I and I definitely feel, you know, as a linguist, I guess, I definitely feel that when you don't practice, you get rusty really, really quickly. So There is a piece here that is so, so important about the role modelling of good communication, good embodied communication. And actually, if nothing else, to remind people how much more effective in-person dialogue is than endless backwards and forwards on a messaging platform. 
but I will stand down. I think building on that and just banging the drum for internal research again, there's something to be said for investigating inside your organisation, what does line managed communication look like? Because again, as I said, loads have changed in the past three years, depending on where your workforce physically is now, that could have changed line manager comms practices. And we see more hybrid meetings, we see completely virtual meetings and actually understanding where are people now and what kind of support do they actually need to to run those meetings in a good way yeah totally look into that because you don't know what you don't know absolutely and I would bang that drama well as you know we've, we've released the index hasn't we but we're not saying that but but also as well use it but also use it to inspire your own deep dive understanding in your organization and understand those nuances and those practices because context and things things really are key but like we said we're, we're a month on and I'm sure Susanna like like me you've been looking at the responses on social media and what people have said about the report or the bits I think of the data that people have really gravitated towards I should say is kind of the thing I'm, I'm most interested in I wondered if there was anything that you as a month on from it has most surprised you or just or something you've really noticed about how people are, are sort of taking those findings yeah I think there's been so much discussion I've seen loads of articles pieces of sort of commentary on the data I think for me what's been interesting is as we sort of said the debate around should I just take this data at face value or should I do some research in in my own organization and I think to me that is key this is an indication but it's the whole UK workforce there will be broad differences depending on where people are based what sector they work in what type of work they do so I think yeah giving people that starting point has been really useful I've seen loads of people posting about the 15 minutes a day stat that has kept coming up and that's been mentioned in conversation. I've also been running a few sessions for internal comms teams where I've just taken the data with me. We've sat down, we've had a chat about, right, this is what the UK looks like broadly. How does that relate to your organisation and your priorities? So I think for me, the, the key sort of response and takeaway is the fact that it's been that talking point. It's started a conversation. It's confirmed a few things that people already knew. But yeah, it's sort of, it's building on people. And I'm hoping that it's sort of, I'm hoping that it makes people a bit more inclined to look into how could we be more data driven internally. I would agree with that as well. And I think that the things that have surprised me, I've certainly seen the 15 minutes when I've had quite a few other other conversations as well. And the written piece actually was something, particularly I think because the AI debate is coming and what that looks like, it's kind of starting to, to and then you've got the, the technology alongside the human connection on what that looks like as well. And also this piece, I think around conversations that I've picked up on as well as around this piece around CEOs and leadership and visibility and this kind of what we're saying externally and what we're doing internally seems to be sort of sort of breathing on and how actually we need to be looking at not only do we talk about our role in helping to drive engagement, advocacy, all those things, but also our role in helping how we're driving reputation. And that's been a, a smaller conversation to what I've seen, the bigger tactical ones on. But it is a, it's a smaller conversation that I'm seeing definitely take place. Just to reinforce that, I think one of the things I picked up on just watching responses, it has broadened out the conversation into all the good stuff that communication and internal communication should be doing. And perhaps a little controversially, we had been getting quite narrowly focused on technology and 
channels because of all the exciting things going on. So it's it's been a brilliant thing over the summer, I think, to refocus the debate. And so given what you've just mentioned there, that, you know, obviously wrapping it up and bringing it back to the title of this podcast series, what what do you feel this means for the future of internal communication? Because coincidentally, probably not, but, you know, who was paying attention at the time? Coincidentally, the, the index has launched at a really hot point for the topic of artificial intelligence and specifically generative artificial intelligence. So, so there's a lot. There's a lot, lot, lot going on here. Susanna, what are your thoughts about what the insights this report has yielded and what it could mean for the future of internal communication? Yeah, I think it's coming back to that point around we can now, we can prove our value as a profession. And I don't think that AI is going to drive internal communicators away from, from their jobs. I think it's looking at supplementing and adding that into our workflows to optimize what we do and and hopefully remove some of that stretch that I know a lot of internal communicators feel but yeah I think in terms of this research what we would love to do is actually look into some of those AI elements and we have the opportunity now we have a an annual survey with UK workers could we look into because there's some other side of that element it's what happens to our jobs what happens to our roles when AI comes into play but actually what happens to employee sentiment? How do you feel about being communicated to reading content that has been written, not by a human, I suppose? So there's that. Again, it's the case for data. It's the, the more strategic setup. It's being able to take these things, uh, the numbers in the report, uh, build out your IC strategy and take that to your leadership team and say, right, we've grounded this in data. So we're doing this for a reason and it works. So Getting, I know we, we talk about this a lot, but the seat of the table, I'm hoping that this research really does that once and for all. A hundred percent. And I would add, because I've been deep diving into generative AI and the implications for internal communication over the last month. And the fact that this research has identified and highlighted that employees want to be and communicated with by their line managers that they want that human to human contact and I understand also this piece around you know the value of written communication but I think what's really interesting here is yes unless we stand up for ourselves there could easily be a wider commercial narrative that's artificial intelligence or specifically generative AI could alleviate and assist the grunt work of internal communication. But first and foremost, what even is that? Because that would infer to me that you're writing content that you don't know to be of value to your audience. Your audience wants a more humanized type style of communication And back to something that you just said, Susanna, it just reminded me, I attended an online masterclass last month with a professor of computer science from Oxford University, Professor Michael Waldrich, who is also a research lead at the Turing Institute. And he talked about one of the potential downsides 
of, well, he talked about many downsides, many concerns of artificial intelligence, but he used a really lovely term as he was outlining the various concerns. He referred to algorithmic alienation, and that is the experience that we have when we feel we are being conversed to by a bot or an algorithm rather than a human being. So at this point in time, a really good example of that would be that really lackluster, mediocre experience and the frustration that you might experience when you are forced by a service provider to interact with a bot and you know that it's a bot, you can't actually get round the bot to speak to a human being. You know, if we don't stand up for ourselves and bang on the drum of the value of internal communication, an uber-capitalist-minded CEO might take the view that internal communication doesn't provide any value and actually there's an algorithm that can fix that problem. So it's an interesting one, isn't it? I would pick up on that and I think that there's so much to consider. There's so much to fight for. There's so much that that we know. And at the end of the day, what this index does is irrelevant of all that. We have to remember we're in the business of emotion. And I know I've coined my phrase return on emotion all the time. And I think the index really highlights actually when you're talking about, as Susanna said, like employee sentiment, how people feel. That is something that needs to be nurtured, curated, protected if you're going to get the kind of outcomes that you want as an organization. And those outcomes can, can be varied from how people feel about you to their productivity, to what they say about you, to how they become an advocate, to just well, how they know how to do their jobs. Because you know, let's face it, many people don't even, they say they believe in the strategy, but they don't know how to enact the strategy. So we've got a, we've got a big problem there anyway. But we're still always in the business of trust. A trust is, um, is the commodity that, that we need to protect. And I think for me, when we think about the future of internal communication and the index and the AI, what we're doing. And, and I think that when we put the two together, I think there's going to be another interesting conversation to be had. I think that the role of internal communication, it ever expands. It ever needs to elbow into new places. It ever needs to shout and fight. But it also needs to, we've talked about it a lot on this podcast as well, become that coach, that enabler, that facilitator that fights for the embodied human connection of communication in organizations, of course, you're going to use tactics and techniques and tools to enable communication in your organization. But you can't do one. But that fundamental trust piece is what we need to, to, to fight and protect. That's my, my, my thoughts around that, I guess. Well, it's maybe a good moment perhaps to, to bring us into land, really. So, um, Susanna, can I come back to you? Because... I've just been jotting down. So since that first conversation you had early in the year when you set this all in train, I think a huge amount has happened. And you've developed an index, a report on the index, which has reopened the debate. I think it's equipped internal communicators even better to have the conversations about their value and their position and their role and their relationships. It's highlighted the importance of leaders. It's made us think about how we use senior leaders in more, more effectively and more strategically, if I can call it that. It's given us insight into the balance of what we talk about. And I think given everyone permission, perhaps to challenge some of the orthodoxies and have a debate about that. And it's reignited, if that's not the right word, the whole thing around employee listening and the importance of that and the value of getting people to open up and talk and helping them do that and providing channels to record it and then do something with it. You've talked a bit about the, the, the future. Let's focus on the very 
close future, I guess. What's the plan now? Is this a one-off? Is it an annual thing? How are we going to build on it? What are we going to do? Susanna, what, what are your thoughts? It's definitely annual. We've already already discussed that, Jen, so I'm holding you to that. We want this to be repeated on an annual basis. The way we're thinking about it is that there will be some core questions that we want to keep tracking over time because it's really interesting to see what goes on. We've done a piece of segmentation in this report, which largely is how does the UK workforce feel? And I'm really intrigued to see how that changes over time, actually, because sentiment was quite quite a lot of large uh, negative groups. We've got around one in four is what we would categorise as miserable moaners. And I would hope and think that this changes over time. But so it's getting that tracking in on an annual basis. But we're also really keen to keep working with practitioners, with senior internal communicators on evolving the question set, potentially expanding the panel survey. So we asked 3,000 people this year. If we go even bigger, there's potential to look into different sectors and give more detailed cuts. So this is a starting point. But I think, yeah, bigger and better. And um yeah, every year. I can't wait, Susanna. I'm excited to work with you. Bigger and better, we will. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I was just going to say, I mean, if as an aspirational goal, we were able to get to a point where there was more granular analysis by sector, wouldn't that be a thing? Because we know that, you know, some sectors at the moment are recovering. I I use that so flimsily. I don't think I use that word in a pre-pandemic style, but they're doing better than many others. You know, there's a massive chasm between public sector and private sector at the moment, increasingly so. So wouldn't that just be amazing to get some more detailed analysis in order that we can go out and assist our colleagues in a far more informed fashion moving forward? Well, thank you. This has been an amazing conversation. And I hope that anybody that is listening today that hasn't actually already downloaded the report will do so. We will make sure that a link to the report is included in the episode listing on the Institute's website. And uh, I look forward to having you back again this time next year then, Susanna. (laughs) Yeah, same. (laughs) absolutely thanks so much for joining and to people listening we look forward to being back in touch with you i think in the autumn in the autumn we'll be back and there is always going to be more to talk chat about isn't there lovely (laughs) thanks all thanks everybody we hope you've enjoyed this podcast episode If you have, please like it and share it with your friends and colleagues on your preferred digital channels. Every recommendation helps us spread the word to build a better, more connected and inclusive future of work. Thanks for listening.